This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two amazing people, Brian Murray. Hello. And Kara Shamborski. Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. I am so excited. Kara, welcome to I Read Comic Books. You're back. You're back as a regular person that's going to be on the show. I'm so excited. I'm so I'm excited. Super happy. <laughs> yes, this is this is a fantastic moment for our show. I think adding anyone new to the show is great, and I'm glad that you're here. So let me ask the question that I ask every week. How have you been, and how have comic books been? Brian Murray. Uh, I've been pretty good. Uh, I haven't had a lot of time to read comic books uh, in the last couple of weeks, but I did manage to sit down and read Dr. Aphra number four. It has continued to be the same goodness that I ranted and raved about in my last appearance on the podcast more uh more cool space indiana jones more cool murder robots uh we've met a new imperial character she's some sort of imperial officer who seems to be set up perfectly to be the new antagonist for this series and i'm excited about that she seems like a real real competent character which we don't get a lot of out of the empire (laughs) in, in star wars media yeah yeah You've usually got, you know, like Grand Moff Tarkin and Darth Vader who know what's up and then a bunch of bumbling assholes who just get in the way. (laughs) But this lady seems like an asshole still, but a competent one. And that's exciting. I like that. That's an episode title right there. (laughs) A bunch of bumbling assholes. The Iron Comic Books podcast. (laughs) A bunch of competent assholes. Okay. Well, that's up to our our listenership to decide. Did you uh, read anything else this week? No, that was all I got to. I've got a bag with you know some more Poe Dameron some more Giant Days in it Ooh, but that sounds like a good selection it's, it's oh, gonna yeah. be a good time and I'm probably gonna do that this evening but I just haven't I've been a bad a bad bad comics reader and haven't gotten to it yet well <laughs> that's that's okay so like uh, delayed like, gratification you're waiting yeah. for the optimal moment that's you don't want to rush it you want to have like your reading zone established that's a much better way to say it than i've been playing through borderlands 2 again <laughs> <laughs> totally kara what did you uh, read this week i read a collection called heart and brain that one of my friends got me for my birthday and uh most of my comics stuff the last couple of weeks has been like comics tangential as opposed to actual comics. So like I've been obsessed with Riverdale on the CW. Oh man. And and the other night night I saw Logan and that was like a religious experience. So it's been a, it's been a good time for comic fans. Absolutely. So what is, what is heart and brain? So heart and brain is, uh, so the book that I got is, Heart and Brain, an Awkward Yeti collection. And okay. the, the Awkward Yeti is a webcomic about an awkward Yeti. And Fair enough. There are two recurring characters in this strip called Heart and Brain. And it's essentially like a, a character manifestation of the Yeti's heart and brain arguing about what to do. But it's so general that it seems like it's not general it's relatable so when i'm reading this comic i feel like i'm seeing my heart and my brain argue about things <laughs> like you you've, know. you've had this internal conflict before totally like anytime they have a strip about shopping brain is like well we haven't budgeted for this and heart's like but i want a koala and so it's <laughs> like 
everyday like, things. <laughs> like that kind of thing. Like like brain is very rational, analytical. We need to budget for that. Like, let me wake you up in the middle of the night to remind you of that awkward thing you said eight years ago. <laughs> oh, you of course. Ha- you have a job interview tomorrow. Let's think about all the ways it could go wrong. And heart heart is always like chasing or playing with this little butterfly that is just there and is super joyous and wants to go like adventuring and skydiving and wants to buy all of the things and like there's this one panel where heart goes like you're stressing about money so much let's go buy something to make you feel better (laughs) (laughs) and it's just that hits me where i live yeah (laughs) and it's so it's so joyous and made me smile like every page and it was not something that I even knew about so I was really glad that I received it as a present and got to try something new yeah that sounds great I've I do you know what the we'll find the web the website for this comic and I'll post it in the show notes it sounds pretty fun mm-hmm yeah, well, for me this week, I sat down and read a few different things. We talked, you know, we read March book one last week, so I immediately read March book two on Monday, and I am very close to sitting down to read Mar- March book three. But I got to pace myself. I want to actually savor this, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm taking a little bit of time off. But March book two continuation of March book one by uh, John Lewis. Oh my goodness, this book is amazing. It's beautiful. The story in book two is a little bit more information heavy but it still has the same feel it still feels relatable it's still very grounded and man it's it's so fantastic i you just have to read the march series that's that's what it comes down to i can't say anything more than that we recommended it so hard last week i i won't push any harder but it's this is a fantastic book for for anybody who may be like me didn't listen last week or doesn't know what you're talking about what is march oh yeah so march is the story of John Lewis, who was one of the Freedom Riders uh, back in the back in the fifties oh, and sixties. Oh, He's right. one of the protesters that did the sit-ins in restaurants in the South to basically protest segregation. And it's a story told in two places in uh, Barack Obama's uh, first inauguration day in two thousand nine, and way back in John Lewis's life as he grows up from a child living on a farm, moving to Nashville, Tennessee, and traveling throughout the South, basically trying to fight segregation he meets martin luther king malcolm x he meets a handful of very iconic people in the civil rights movement and he is an amazing human seeing everything that he's done and delivered in such a fantastic format in a comic book not just because it's a comic book but the way that it is delivered through a comic book it's it's top-notch comics i never thought i would be so involved in a non-fiction style comic book the way that i am with this but i am deeply in love so if you get a chance if you go to the library or you have you know a couple bucks i would say buy this book it's one of those things that you're going to want on your shelf even if you read it in any format like i have the digital copies of this book i'm going to buy them in physical this is going on a bookshelf this is an important comic book so yeah the go phys- ahead the physical version is beautifully printed too i mean i have the paperbacks of that book and it's like oh the paper quality i love it yeah, it's it's all it's super top notch. I believe I can't remember who published it. IDW. I IDW. Okay, yeah. See, and they they don't mess around when it comes to their serious books. I think like the Lock and Key series. I think was really well printed. Not to say that Lock and Key is as important. I think, but but even still, they you know they care about their the paper quality and finish of their of their products, which is nice. Well, you know that if somebody in New York is willing to devote actual apartment space to storing a book, it's got to be. <laughs> We're not, 
we're not going to talk about how many books I have in my room right now. I'm staring at an embarrassing pile that won't fit on my bookcase. And I then was going like, to say, <laughs> I'm in the same boat. We're not going to talk about how I need to buy a second bookshelf for all of my comic books right now. That's a <laughs> that's another episode, I think. My pile <laughs> of books is just embarrassing for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I did read Royal City Number 1, which is the new Jeff Lemire comic book. I honestly don't know how to describe this book other than it's Jeff Lemire getting back to his roots of storytelling. He's telling another book kind of like Essex County, kind of like, it's it's not like Sweet Tooth, but it has a lot of the same feelings as Sweet Tooth because it's not a genre book. It's, it's not slice of life. It's just a story about real people with fantastical elements. And in the back of the first issue, Lemire, he writes this nice essay, and I don't think he's ever done this in any of, any of his other books talking about how this is him getting back to his roots, kind of like I said, and that he didn't know how to describe it as far as genre goes because it has so many different genre elements to it, but it fits in none of those genres, and which makes me really excited because the first issue only touched on like one fantastical bit, and the twist, like there was an obvious twist in the early pages of the book, and the way that he ended up playing it out at the end blew my mind. I am super duper hooked on this. So highly recommend it. Royal City number one. Uh, I, I if either of you heard of this book, do you either of you read Jeff Lemire at all? I don't go out of my way looking for okay. him. But I I keep meaning to read Sweet Tooth because everyone seems to love it, and it seemed like different enough where uh, it would be something that I hadn't seen before. But I haven't gotten around to it yet. Gotcha. I it'll break your heart. It broke my heart when I read it. So. <laughs> I, I just want to warn you there. Uh, the other two things I read, uh, Slam Number 4 by Pamela Ribbon, or Ribbon, I think, and Veronica Fish. This book is making me love roller derby to the point where I'm definitely going to a roller derby game this year, or more than one at least. It's such a cool book. It's, all, it's about friendship and hip-checking people and bruises, and I love it. That, that's all I could say. This book is fantastic. And finally, I did read Nailbiter number 30, which is the last issue of the Nailbiter series. And the ending kind of it was perfect in the sense that I felt that the last arc was rushed, but the last issue could have been the last issue after 60 issues, after 100 issues. Like this ending that they had planned for the last issue of this series was absolutely perfect for the story that they built. And so as much as I wanted there to be another 30 issues to this series... I'm happy that we got the last issue that we got. So that being said, I'm this book will be sorely missed because I I need a little bit of horror, but not the kind of horror that actually scares me, the kind of horror that gives me the chills, which is a bit different. So if you haven't read Nailbiter, I recommend it. Otherwise, we can move on and we can talk about what books we're excited for this week because comic books come out on March 8th, 2017. I know what I'm excited for, but Kara, what are you excited for this upcoming week? Well, it's not the the upcoming week so much as it's the upcoming month because Archie Comics has a few one-shots that are in the works, and one of them really caught my eye. It's called Jughead, The Hunger, and... (laughs) 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 And... It's only being teased as there's a sinister reason why Jughead is hungry all the time. So for what? for listeners who right, so for listeners who don't know, 
who for like the five of you who have no idea what Archie Comics is, uh, it's like typical teenagers in a typical suburban U.S. town. And one of the characters, Jughead, his shtick is that he's lazy and he loves to eat and he can he's like rail thin, but he can eat like an entire army. And yes, so he can eat the actual army. He could eat the actual army. If they were made of hamburgers, absolutely. So this one shot is part of the Archie Horror imprint, which they're actually producing some of the greatest comics now (laughs) in general. They did that uh, that Sabrina comic, right? Yeah, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and Afterlife with Archie are also in the horror imprint. And Jughead the Hunger will be joining those... uh, those top tier titles and i saw the the archie comics twitter account posted a sample double page spread from the interior of this book and oh it looks so good <laughs> so is is the explanation that jughead is like a wendigo or something <laughs> i don't know they just the, i really hope so <laughs> the article that i read said that will maybe jughead's closer to his dog hot dog was in afterlife than he thought. And I'm just like, zombies, <laughs> not zombies. Did you say that Jughead had a thing with his dog? No, 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 no. no. Like, so in afterlife with Archie, the first issue starts with like hot dog gets hit by a car and Jughead goes to Sabrina begging for her help. And she essentially brings Hot Dog back to life, but he comes back as something dark and twisted. Classic Pet Cemetery. go on. Zombie Dog. Zombie Dog. So he goes and starts the zombie epidemic in Riverdale by biting people. So so the teaser stuff for Jughead the Hunger seems to to hint that it'll be a similar (laughs) route, but I'm hoping for something a little bit different than just zombies. Right, right. We'll see. But the art looks phenomenal. That is amazing. I did not know that that existed, and oh my goodness, I, I have to buy it. That's, yeah, I'm sold. Uh, yeah. It's, com- it's coming out at some point in the next few weeks, and I'm ready. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm so ready. <laughs> well, I think sticking in the horror genre, Brian, what are you excited for? So my pick for this week is Man-Thing number one, and I don't actually know anything at all about Man-Thing. Beyond, okay. Uh, uh, he was in a, uh, a an animated film I saw on Netflix not too long ago, but it's this book is written by R. L. Stein, which of, I was of Goosebumps fame of uh, Goosebumps yeah. fame, and one of one of my personal heroes growing up. Uh, I was a massive Goosebumps fan when I was a a young boy growing up in suburban Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that that's enough for me to to pick up at least the first issue. I mean, nostalgia factor alone. I don't know what it's going to be about. Uh, I know that Daniel Johnston is doing the art, but I'm not familiar with his work, and I don't care. I mean, it could be R.L. Stein drawing stick figures on sticky notes, and I would still pick it up. <laughs> That's exciting. I I know a little bit about Man-Thing to the point where I know that he's essentially fueled by emotion. 
So he gets, based on how he's feeling, determines the kind of power that he has. But he usually is feeling anger, which translates into, like, vines. Because he's like a swamp monster. And, that, yeah. and not that he's, like, swamp thing, but he's a, of the swamp. And so he has he's very connected to nature, but his power usually manifests by, like, rap, he wraps vines around people and, like, burns them or freezes them based on how he's feeling. It's really bizarre. So I, it's really I'm really excited to hear how he tackles this subject i mean arl stein that is yeah and this book is going to have another a cool uh venom variant cover coming up this month which is a thing why that marvel is, is doing why are they doing that is there they that's oh, a teaser i think for the edge of venom verse thing that's coming out in <laughs> yeah. june i want to oh, say so it's not just like people at marvel saying you know who's really radical venom you know who we <laughs> haven't spotlighted recently venom <laughs> i mean it's probably it's probably serving multiple masters, you know. Yeah, I bet after all the uh, Spider Verse stuff from the last couple of years, they were like, "We want to keep this Spider Train going." Oh but yeah, people are probably sick of Spider Man. Got to bring in that sweet, sweet Spider money. <laughs> I don't care; they're gonna get mine. I will spend all of my Spider dollars buying this book. <laughs> oh, and that's that's a dark universe to live in where everything's Spider money and Spider dollars. Oh my goodness, Spider bucks, if you must. But to lead up, they're doing variant covers for March. So there's going to be, right. you know, everything from Champions to Man-Thing. Spider-Gwen's looks freaking awesome. She's got, like, the Venom teeth are, like, rimming that hood on her costume. Ooh. Oh, cool. And it cool. looks super weird. I, I threw a link in the show notes if you want to check some of those out. Oh, yeah. Totally. I'll, I'll definitely post that in the notes for the show. Uh, cool, man. That's uh, I didn't realize that was coming out so soon because I remember... When they did that AMA on Reddit, uh, R.L. Stein, I, I actually asked him, Are, did you ever think about reading or writing comic books? And he was like, I can't talk about it, but I definitely am working with Marvel. So I didn't know that it was this book. That is super duper cool. Uh, but for me this week, I am excited for the very end of IVX and the probable fallout that will come of it. The The cover of this book looks like... Emma, Emma Frost has taken over or something. I don't know. I'm really excited for this book, this series to be over because I really want Marvel to just end all the X-Men books and call it done because they've been dragging it out. <laughs> I, I really like Charles Soule. I really like Lionel Yu and all the other artists that they've had fill in. I think that they've been telling a an okay story by twisting kind of the, oh, we're going to get these triple A-class heroes to fight against each other and then flip it on its head by saying, no, 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 it's all these new kids that are actually going to be fighting the fight, and no one knows who's actually the bad guy, which has kind of been Marvel's shtick for the last two or three events. Are we really the good guys? Are we doing the right thing? Has kind of been the big question. Are we human or are we dancer? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I'm looking forward to this book being over it is the last issue and i've been sucked in i'm yeah that's that's all i can really say about it for for those of you that haven't been following this ivx conflict the story is the inhumans and the x-men are at war for the simple reason of after some events that happened a while ago before secret wars but apparently carried over into the new universe that was forged there are these two giant gaseous blobs that have been circling the earth and while they are unlocking the hidden talents and powers of the unpowered people of Earth, 
at the same time, this cloud is killing mutants because it is like a just it affects their quote unquote X gene and it kills them very, very quickly. And after some fallout where the X-Men tried to combat this, they essentially destroyed one of the clouds and in doing so incited a war that was on hold for eight months so that between the X-Men and the Inhumans, they could potentially figure out a, a solution to this. Cyclops died. And now eight months have passed, Beast and his handful of smart people were unable to come up with a cure, and so this fight has been on. And I won't spoil what's happened in IVX, but it's been just a big cluster. Wait, is Beast, I know Beast is a mutant, but he was running with the Inhumans for a while, I know. Is this related to this event? Yes. So Beast decided to not decided to not side with the X-Men. He wanted to be like he's a conscientious, excuse me, a conscientious objector to the whole fight and the like, you know, clashing between the two groups. And instead, he thinks that with science, he can come up with a solution. But as we've seen in the last couple of years, Beast may not be in his right of mind, seeing that he brought these X-Men from the past into the future to try to fix Scott, Scott, Scott Summers. Then Scott Summers died and now he doesn't really know what to do. So he's kind of wandering, trying to do something right. And he can't seem to do it. And we're almost at a breaking point for this character. And I have a feeling that this last issue of IVX will actually be that breaking point for him, uh, which is really sad because I've always loved beast, but I, having been a person that has read X-Men for, a very long time we've in the last couple of years we've seen him just get shot down and hurt and beat mentally and emotionally um seeing that he can't actually fix things which has kind of always been his shtick so it's it's been, it's an interesting way that that marvel has been developing that storyline over the very long term like four or five years so we'll Aww. see how this plays out it's it's kind of sad like it's on a long-term scale it's very sad <laughs> that poor blue baby i know right Our show's topic this week is all about shipping in comic books and what that means. And I think we have two experts this week on the show to discuss this topic. I'm not a big shipper, not a big person who sails ships. So, Kara and Brian, could you give us a little bit of background about what shipping is and I guess like why it's important to you? So, I guess I'll I'll throw this to you, Kara, to start. And Brian, you can chime in and um, I can sit here in the corner and kind of just think about things and react. <laughs> sit in the corner and think about what you've done. <laughs> yeah. Seems reasonable. So shipping is short for relationshiping. And basically it's when you're consuming a piece of media and you think that two characters have really great chemistry and you think that they should be in a relationship or if they are in a relationship you're like a fan of that relationship and want them to continue being in a relationship. Shipping has been part of my experience as a fan of all things nerdy since like I was 10 or maybe even younger. Oh wow. And it's always it's always been a very um like I can't imagine being a fan of all the things that I'm a fan of without the shipping component because it's so important to how I experience different stories. Yeah, from even even before I even like had a name for it. Like looking back, I I can kind of realize that I was doing it anyways. 
like reading my Animorphs books and wondering when Marco and Rachel were going to get together. Like that's shipping. Apparently, that was my first ship. Like I don't know what I don't know what fandom name it would have these days. But this, this is when you're you know five or six and you've got a GI Joe and a Barbie doll and they're walking down the street and even though they're from completely different you know universes and stories or whatever you want to call those action figure worlds universes they still get married in the end and they go live in barbie's dream house right i believe that would be called a crack ship yes oh okay hold on (laughs) what okay we're gonna need some definition of terms then if we're gonna be discussing this can we go through that really quick because that's new to me (laughs) okay so a crack ship is the best kind of ship because it's one that's so ridiculous like either the character's have never interacted before or like in your Barbie G.I. Joe example, they're from totally different universes and would never ever meet. Or you just, in your mind, you said, what if something happened between these characters? What if Optimus like, Prime and Wally got together? Yeah, stuff like that what? is like is like a crack ship. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, okay. Speechless. A famous one in the Harry Potter fandom is Dobby and the Giant Squid. Like, that's a crack ship. Yeah, it's also okay. like crack because it'll ruin your life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. Okay, interesting. So in in our show notes, I, the original topic. <laughs> let me read the original topic title that we had for this. Oh, Captain, my Captain, shipping in comic books. Who are your ships? Canon or non-canon? Blowing holes in other ships. That last bit. Can you explain to me what that is? It's like if, so for example, when I was a kid and the Harry Potter books were coming out and I was reading them, I was like, oh, well, Harry and Hermione are going to get together. And spoilers, they didn't. And some of my friends were like, were huge Ron Hermione shippers and they would make fun of me for like, for shipping Harry and Hermione once Ron Hermione became canon. So okay. that, that would be like, their argument was, well, they're canon, so your ship is not valid. So that's kind of like messing with other people's ships, but I don't really agree with that. I think that as long as a ship that you hold is important to you and makes sense to you, it doesn't matter if I ship different characters, we can still be friends. Right. Yeah, as long as you're not hurting anybody, it's fine. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't like the shipping wars and people tearing each other down over like arguing which character should really belong. Oh man. With I, who? Like I, I just, think it's it, real stupid, but I draw strength from all that drama. Like, <laughs> so what well, fuels you, the black you, battery where my heart should go. Well, you just said that you've been encountering a lot of Overwatch shipping drama. What's oh, going on there? It's so bad. So they did a Valentine's. Uh, they put in some Valentine's like voice lines for some of the characters. Uh, Overwatch, if you're not familiar, it's a, a, a team, team, excuse me, a team shooter. But there's there's no there's no canon story in the game. Like there is canon that's been established in comic books and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not so much comic books as like little short comics released online. Yeah. But they put in a couple voice lines for these characters, Genji and Mercy, where they're talking about giving each other chocolate. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. But the internet lost its damn mind. Because a lot of people like to ship Mercy with another character called Farah. And I saw people arguing that, like, it's racist to have 
Mercy with Genji because of some what they refer to as a white savior complex, which is a real thing and can be problematic, though I don't really see it at all in Overwatch. And they called it homophobic because they paired Mercy, a woman, with Genji, a man. And that's funny. <laughs> I think yeah, it's funny. I, yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing it back to comics because there are legitimate Overwatch comics out there that are free on the internet to read. But <laughs> oh, yeah. that seems they, they, insane. In another comic around Christmas time, they outed a character as gay and showed her kissing her partner on the couch. And oh, again, and the internet lost their minds, or at least a lot of Overwatch fans lost their minds over it. Just completely insane. <laughs> right. And I think that's a, bad, a good example of when shipping can go too far. So my most powerful comic book ship um, came, like, became part of my being in the mid-late 2000s when DC Comics was doing their uh, 52 and countdown books like leading up to final crisis around that time sure yeah and okay so going a little further back i watched justice league on cartoon network and wally west the flash is my fictional husband and (laughs) because I, i i love him so much and so i started reading some of the flash comics and learning more about his rogues gallery and the Flash Rogues Gallery is a little different from most of the other Rogues Galleries, at least in DC Comics, because the Rogues actually, most of them, like, hang out with one another. So, like, you don't really expect all of Batman's villains to have, like, a like a clubhouse, essentially, where they're all hanging out when they're not <laughs> beating up on him. But the Flash's Rogues do, because they're basically, like, a little, like, Lost Boys-esque Family like a su- a support thing. group for people who get their asses kicked by the Flash all the time. <laughs> like, like Captain Cold is basically like the dad, and Heatwave is basically the mom, and then like all the other little rogues are just like running around. They just don't want to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> I have very strong feelings about them. I love so, it. So, so I, won't, in countdown, I, I have to totally agree because no. I. It, just to interject really quickly, I've been reading the Flash comic book, and that's totally how the story is written right now in the new oh, Flash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never knew that was a thing. That makes me so happy that that's been going on for a very long time. That's all that I want to say. The rogues are my precious little babies. And so in Countdown, um, Bart Allen, the third or fourth Flash, who even knows, got murdered, and everyone was blaming the rogues. So trickster the the james jesse one not the axel what's his last name one um axel walker i think all i think is axel rose but i know that's not it yeah 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 Yeah, so axel's like the new punk trickster at that time at least and james jesse is like the one in the striped suit and uh pied piper um were handcuffed together and on the run trying to escape basically everyone who's trying to get at them because the Flash was really well-loved and everyone's really pissed at the rogues and these guys are essentially getting all the blame. So throughout the entire like 52-issue run of Countdown, they are trying to run away from basically everyone. And, you know, they're handcuffed together and Pied Piper is canonly gay and so i'm reading this like huh hmm 
what's happening off panel here? And, you know, Trickster <laughs> and Trickster is such an ass. And he just keeps making all these terrible jokes that I and other horrible people like me interpreted as like horribly flirty. And oh. so like <laughs> yes. while this series was unfolding, I became like the most hardcore pipster shipper you can possibly imagine. <laughs> I was lurking, lurking on all of the forums, reading all of the comics that I could get my hands on. People were writing some really exceptional fan fiction mm-hmm. about these two, like in this context and also the context of being in the rogues and that kind of weird lost boy family dynamic that they all have where they all just want to protect one another and the flash kind of leaves them alone as long as they don't murder anyone right let's say that and, sounds like a fan fiction situation like right these two characters but they're handcuffed together <laughs> exactly it was like made for me so <laughs> so it's just uh it was so heartbreaking though because almost towards the end of countdown uh deadshot and some other mercenaries like track them down on this train and they're like and trickster and piper are having this really cute moment and it's terrible and this this joke is awful but it's trickster so he's awful he's like they're handcuffed they're sitting in this train car and he turns to piper and he's like well i was gonna make a, a joke about how you've turned me hobosexual and they start like laughing and I'm like, they're totally about to kiss or make out or something. And then Deadshot like swoops in the open car of the carriage and shoots Trickster in the head and all of my dreams die. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, are you serious? So then of course the Pipster community started writing all these fics about like, he's not really dead or like Pipster brings or like Piper brings him back to life. And I had like an extreme, this is around the time the song No Air by Jordan Sparks and Chris Brown was on the radio a lot. And so I had this like beautiful elaborate music video to that in my mind about like how Trickster would escape the confines of hell because he's canonly done that before and like make his way back (laughs) to Piper and they would like be a happy couple and go out and like rob banks or maybe be good guys because both of them have been good guys before. And I was just like, make this dream come true and it never did and it just oh so awful but the ship was there oh that's, my god that's what's important right well clearly as you could tell from how how talking about it it still means a lot to me absolutely yeah that's that's interesting i i wow because i i feel like i just i'm a sucker and i just fall for the the ships the, the relationships that are in the story that's it i'm just like okay is it harry hermione no no it was uh it was it was Hermione and Ron the entire time, you know, we all things know that, like that. Uh, Gambit and Rogue has always been your ship of ships. Oh yeah, that's. I mean, that's the one that's that's always going to be there for me. Then and it's going to fail all the time, and it's never going to be perfect. Even when Rogue is out, kind of dating Magneto, and it's never. It's always a will they, won't oh, they kind weird. of situation. But yeah, that's oh, that's a whole other thing. I, I I've I gone. Like I've gone me out on a very long discussion with Tia once before about all of this explaining how the there was a lot of stories that Mike Carey wrote in X-Men for a while that were Rogue and Magneto that were and they were kind of like this isn't going to happen but Magneto wants to wants them to date but Rogue's like I can't but I kind of want to because you're the type of person that I always wanted to be with and he's like yes that's what I thought she's like don't get in my face about 30 years but, older than them but Magneto and Professor X are true love <laughs> Oh okay, you know, it's so funny that you say that because 
you know, when you, Kara, when you were rereading um, Age of Apocalypse, or you were reading Age of Apocalypse for the movie to come out, you were reading the yep. comics, yep. I, I sat down and read the, t- the two of the two of the volumes. I never made it through the whole thing, because it was really, it's really tough. So I have to commend you for, for reading all of those. Uh, but there were some, there were some scenes when Legion went back in time to, you know, stop Magneto, when Charles and and Magneto, they're really close. Like yep. they are incredibly close. Like yep. whatever was going on between them off page was, I think, a little bit more than friendship because Charles has always kind of been, in my mind, very ambiguous in in like his sexuality. I, like nope, yes, he's not he's, with Magneto, but, but yeah, that, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. With Magneto, it seems like almost overt the way that they were writing him, the, or the the two of them together. Like this was definitely more than friendship and maybe they were trying to play that off as well they were companions and they were always had each other's back no, but like they're star-crossed soulmates totally I, I and i could totally see that and i never thought that before until i read those books um uh, i don't know if i if i'm 100 percent on that ship but i'm definitely walking up up the boards to get to that ship i think i didn't that reading those comics and seeing the that subtext did not come as a surprise to me because I've seen all of the X-Men movies and all those movies are all very, in my mind at least, Magneto, Charles Xavier positive and about like their bond and how they just give each other these long soulful looks and but you can just, be better. I know you can. I just thought that uh, was Sir Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, their chemistry coming through though. Not even <laughs> yeah. them. Like also Also James McAvee and Michael Fassbender though like it's not the actors it's the characters and their dynamic their dynamic to me has always been this intense bond and you could read that as a romantic love or a sexual love or you could read it as a fraternal love but it's there and either decision is valid and don't yell at people who have different opinions than you (laughs) totally totally strong opinions (laughs) I you know I've, I've come to realize that that you know, a long time ago, I was very, 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 very active on a specific Harry Potter fan or fan forum, and I would get in these very heated debates with people about the the various relationships in the Harry Potter universe, not just the the main trio, but like side characters and like the Luna Neville thing that was never really settled. True love. And, and it was totally settled. It was in the movie. It was sure. in the last Deathly Hallows film, and J.K. Rowling was a producer on it, which means it's canon. Thank you. The sure, end. sure, sure. And I, I'm not debating that, but I, I just remember thinking I was getting so angry and so frustrated that people disagreed with like either what was written or what I thought, and things like that. And I realized that there's no, there's no point to that because we're all enjoying the same story. It, those relationships don't drastically change the direction of the story and how those things interact, right? Whether or not these two people are dating or if they're very close friends, at the end of the day, they're still trying to save each other. Still, they still care about each other. And like you said, whether it's fraternal or if it's if it's romantic or it's physical or whatever, they still care about each other. Like that's not going to change despite what you call the relationship. So I've I've become, I should say, I've come become more accepting even though I don't really follow and ship a lot of people i'm not going to yell at you and say no that's wrong like magneto and charles charles xavier they there's no way that could ever happen like it totally could like i'm not going to argue with you if you want to look at further into that that's that's i mean that's my two bits about it it's just kind of like my natural reaction to viewing any kind of story like seeing star wars the force awakens and the whole time just being like Wow, Poe Dameron and Finn have a lot of chemistry. I see that. Like that's <laughs> yeah. just that was just my reaction. Uh, I'm here for that. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
hard. He, he gave him his jacket. I mean, if that's not uh, like, that's what you do in high school when you like said, somebody. No, you keep it. <laughs> he gave Finn his Letterman's jacket. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So cute. Oh, my gosh. So, and I think a lot of this this shipping stuff, come, this turns into a lot of the times fan fiction, right? I think that, you know, we, we had the whole episode, I think the last time you were on, Kara, we talked a lot about fan fiction. And I, I so because of this, like, we get a lot of interesting, well-written, not well-written, whatever stories from people that kind of drive this home. I know that Kate was talking to me. She, she like, downloaded an entire novel-length story. I know there's a lot of these out there, but, like, novel-length, ready-for-your-Kindle-style fan fiction stories that exist out there. So, like... How do you, how do you guys go about <clears throat> feeding these ships outside of just having your own mental you know ideas of how these things do, are there are there avenues out there that you typically follow? I have read an embarrassing amount of fan fiction, and today I'm actually wearing my shirt that says the fan fiction was better because huh. <laughs> for me a lot of the times that's true because when because fan fiction tends to focus more on relationships than the actual media itself does because if you're reading a story characters are important but ultimately you're following a narrative that has some kind of plot but fan fiction doesn't have to have a plot it can just be two characters like hanging out in a coffee shop or just two characters having carnal relations with no context whatsoever (laughs) and it's it just depends on like what you're looking for and like and fan, fan fiction is not being limited by the studio, so right. people can write whatever they want, even if it's unpopular or horrifically inappropriate, given the characters involved. For example, one of actually my favorite fanfics ever that's like such a crack fic, which Mike, same same use as like crack ship, crack fic is the same genre okay i don't know if you guys have seen any of supernatural or read any of oh, the supernatural of comics okay oh, yeah so, i've watched a lot of supernatural yes right so i read this phenomenal fanfic that a friend sent me that was imagining an alternate universe where all the characters are squirrels <laughs> so it was, so it was and it was like talking about like Dean and Cass finding true love, even though they're like different squirrels. Like Cass is like a flying squirrel and it's like from a different part of the woods. And it was so well written that like I finished the fic and I was like, I hate how much I loved this. This is such a good story. Wow. That uh, for those of you who may not watch Supernatural, just do yourself a favor. Look some stuff up on Wikipedia real quick. That's uh, a, <laughs> that's a perfect metaphor. Get it, Cass? Because Cass is an angel, Cass so he's a flying Cass. squirrel. Of course. Oh, of course. I love that. <laughs> I I used to read a lot of fan fiction. Um, I stopped sometime during college, I think, because I I got my degree in writing, and after a while, they got to a point where, you know, fan fiction is written by amateurs, often without any kind of editing, and so sometimes the writing isn't great, and. I got pickier and pickier as time went on to the point where I couldn't read poorly written fan fiction. I can tell within a line if I'm going to be able to get through it or not. So I'm really discerning at this point. Yeah. I I feel like with any kind of material like that, or I mean, any, any like a comic or a book or like fan fiction, whatever, you can get a couple lines in and go, I don't know if this is for me. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's gotten a lot harder for me to read, but it's also made me appreciate fanfic authors so much more. Mm -hmm. Looking at it, like, 
I was I was bored one day and was Google like I was just looking up like really long examples of fan fiction, and I saw that someone had written a Zootopia fan fiction that was longer than the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. I believe it. Whether you like it or not, that's just really damn impressive. <laughs> they put yeah. in the work. Like, well, there's someone that's out there that I I I'd have to look up the exact number, but they've been writing a Super Smash Bros. fan fiction story since melee came out since super smash bros melee came out and i don't know how long ago that was but it's still going it's still an ongoing story they've been writing like adding in the the concepts and layers that show up in brawl and and all the other games to like make this cohesive story where characters show up and there's full on relationships and drama like it's it, it makes me think of like a soap opera one of those like days of our lives that have been going on for so many years and it's still technically one continuous story so according it to blows this blows my mind according to this quote i found from the daily dot it's the longest work of fiction ever written right uh, the subspace emissaries world's conquest a Super Smash Bros. work in progress that is, as of July 2013, 3,548,615 words long. Whoa. Yeah. And from, I believe I saw this maybe a month or two ago, it's still ongoing. Yeah. So they've been writing it for years. That just blows my mind. It looks like the, the wow from what i can see it looks like chapter one was published on march 4 2008 well wow so nine so, years old as of yesterday so so i assume oh that goodness. that is full of different ships too oh i'm certain i i don't even know what, where the, the see that right there is like a total crack fic because the universes are there's a plethora of them yeah i mean well i just to, to name a few i mean it's mario zelda pokemon donkey kong like all of those universes are then colliding and imagine all of the elements you could potentially pull in given the the levels that you play in which are, take place in various different worlds and different like levels of vi- different games in the same story so like you've got multiple tiers of Zelda games coming in that take place in multiple years that would involve different princess zeldas different ganons different enemies that oh my head is hurting just thinking about the comp- complexity of that world <laughs> Mike, I just sent you. I just sent you the link to the actual fan fiction. Oh no! So we can post that in the show notes if we want to. I will see you all in 2018 when I finish it. <laughs> it was last updated in October of last year. So okay, okay. Mike, do you said that you tend to not really see ships that are happening outside of what the media creators are like presenting to you? But do you have like a favorite couple from comics that? Like, besides anyone from the X-Universe that ah, you're, like, you all about. <laughs> um, I'm actually... I'm actually... Uh, this is an X-Men character. Damn it. Never mind. It's okay. Um, well, I mean, Just my... One? I have... I have uh, so, there's X-23 is a character that I've always... I've loved since she was created. X-23 and, and Squirrel Girl? Totally. I'm right X- there with you. <laughs> X-23 and Cyclops has always been a thing for me, if only because of the funny idea that I'm pretty sure that at one point those characters were kind of in a sli- kind of in a slight relationship if only to appease the Wolverine Cyclops love that char- that they that 
various writers have created over the year of them being at odds all the time, but there's mm. like more to it than the, that. The hate love. The hate love. So X-23 and Cyclops getting together is like every fanboy's dream in a way because you're finally getting that heteronormative relationship, but it's X, it's Wolverine and Cyclops, even though like I'm not saying that's the correct way that it could be because I've seen some Cyclops Wolverine dialogue in my day and uh, <laughs> it's, yep. yeah. So I... I but usually I'm not I'm not fighting my way to get to I'm not fighting in my head to say I want these two characters to get together or I want to read more about these two characters together because I'm not I don't I don't have any urge to push beyond what's presented in the medium. I mean if I'm sure if, if it was in a comic I would just accept it and that's like <laughs> like a, a dumb a dumb thing to I think to to be but uh, in some ways just say if it's presented that's canon like you can disagree with the canon I have multiple times but it's never been in terms of relationships I've never like I've never been I guess frustrated by a relationship for the most part you never you never you never take it personally yeah it's it's interesting that you said that you don't like even if a ship is presented to you as canon you don't feel like the need to go read more about those characters being together because I'm the total opposite. So uh, a few, many, many years ago, a long time ago in a galaxy (laughs) far, far away, to (laughs) be exact, um, in the Star Wars Legends comics, they were playing around a lot with the idea that the Jedi Masters, Isla Secura and Kit Fisto had like a subtextual thing going on. And at one point, the characters who are Jedi and not supposed to have romantic relationships, looking at you, Anakin Skywalker, they <laughs> they actually kissed through this like total awful plot device where like Isla was like underwater about to drown, and Kit Fisto can breathe underwater, so. He goes, let me breathe for you. And he like sweeps her in his arms underwater and they're in a tight embrace and he's breathing and it's beautiful, but you know, it's not as like good as it could be. So I read that issue and I was like, well, I need more of this. So then you go to fanfiction.net and archive of her own and you find like what happens next. Right. See, that's, that's interesting. Cause I, I don't know. I'm, I am the type of person in, in the way that I can consume this type of stuff is that what's available is what's available. So I don't, I'm not like, like as much as I want the next issue of a book to come out or the next volume or something to come out, I'm not perusing the internet for like in my mind, what is non canon stuff. Um, and I, like I said, we, we talked about this a bit on the, on our fan fiction episode, so we could go more in depth about how I hate fan fiction, but, uh, (laughs) it's not really a hate so much as it's just a, I'm, I'm passive about it. I don't have any, any feelings to, to need it or anything Any like feelings that. at all yeah, i have no feelings at all and i don't care about anything uh <laughs> <laughs> i don't know rela- relationships in in comic books and in media in general is always like like it's a it's a piece of the story but it's it's there to me there's more in the story than than just relationships sometimes so i'm i'm not like struggling to find that i guess i don't know yeah um, see Those... i'm i'm mostly interested in the relationships and Same. wanting yeah so for example like i said i saw logan and that although it doesn't have like romantic relationships it is all about the characters and them as characters and how they interact with other characters and that to me is my favorite kind of storytelling like i could i could care less about the plot as long as the characters are fleshed out and are interacting in a satisfying way 
Right. This is all really making me want to talk about Firefly, which I can do because technically they're comics also. <laughs> so. I mean, th- there is there is room. I mean, to discuss it if if you have feelings, if you want to if you want to go further into it, I'm all for it. Let's hear it. I can keep so, up on the Firefly conversation too. So Firefly, for those of you who don't know, was a show that ran for like half a season back in the early 2000s about a bunch of space cowboys, essentially. And it was a show that didn't really resonate with a lot of viewers, but developed a cult following after the fact because people like me who really enjoy characters over like any kind of logical plot thing and enjoy world building really liked the fly the firefly verse and i had like a really so normally i end up seeing ships um that aren't heteronormative i usually end up seeing like i usually end up shipping guys with guys and like occasionally girls with girls but mostly it's guys with guys because we know that the the canon is never gonna have the guts to do it (laughs) well i i actually have a reason but i'll get into that in a minute and like my one like super strong heteronormative ship is river and jane and firefly i just ah just it it makes (laughs) so much sense in my mind (laughs) but she's so little well you know so big then you read fanfic where like it's okay because she's 18 no, I just and mean like size-wise, like logistics are are baffling. <laughs> but like you know, climbing like really... playground equipment. Oh my god! So you know, like he really loves weapons, and she's the ultimate one. Like, oh my just, goodness, oh, no, right? stop! Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> does he call also... her? Does he call her Vera? <laughs> he doesn't need to name her. She already has one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so... goodness. So that's like my favorite, my favorite Firefly ship, like my <laughs> ultimate. I just love reading about them. See, like, Wash, you know, Wash and Zoe for me. They're always my ideal relationship. They're so sweet. Something about a woman who can beat the crap out of you. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, okay. So my reasons for usually shipping dudes with dudes. I figured it out um, a couple years ago. I was like, why do I keep like shipping guys with guys is it because then it's like easier for me to like imagine myself in a relationship with like either of them without like female competition I was like no that's ridiculous so I realized it's because if you have like a same sex ship you're not bringing along the baggage that comes with like gender roles so oh that's interesting so like if I'm shipping Batman and Superman and I do I'm not it's different from shipping Batman with Wonder Woman or bat or like Wonder Woman with Superman because then you're like oh but like she's the woman and she's gonna like take on the role of the woman and he's gonna have to like like pursue her or she's gonna be like more feminine or all like whatever Uh is, is associated with male and female gender in your culture and whatever you're reading into that but if I'm shipping guys with guys it's they're on totally equal footing because there's none of that like gendered behavior baggage. So instead of being like the man in the relationship or the woman in the relationship, they're just themselves. Interesting. Yeah, that's a really cool way to look at it. Yeah, I I never I never considered that. That's a very interesting way to look at that. I, I do took, I do think it took that me it's... a while to get there. <laughs> hey, no, that's I thank you for enlightening me. I've never yeah. never in my life considered that. That's that's fantastic. I think it is really valuable too that. 
shipping is a way for people to pair men with men or women with women if they want to because i think that for a lot of young people like grappling with just the ideas of sexuality not even necessarily your own sexuality just what is sex what is sexuality like i think that shipping gives people a really nice um safe i guess a safe way to process those kinds of feelings absolutely even if they're doing it unconsciously you know like somebody finds themselves always shipping two same-sex characters together then you know i'm not necessarily saying you are gay if you ship gay people but you know if if that's something that you're drawn to and you don't really understand why then there could be something there it's kind of like so that makes sense to me because when i was a teenager like shipping and fan fiction about those ships is what like that's how i learned that there was more to adult relationships than just heteronormative relationships oh totally right yeah right like i was just like oh you know you know raised on raised on disney you see the prince and the princess getting together and then all of a sudden i'm reading teen titans fan fiction about aqualad and speedy and i'm just like this is so wrong but it's so right (laughs) yeah yeah, so it kind of like normalized different kinds of relationships for me in a way that no other like type of media or anything that I was being taught in school was able to get across to me. Yeah, because everything in mainstream media is overwhelmingly cisgendered and straight. Like, we're getting a little bit better as time has gone on, but like that if, if you're interested in anything other than that kind of cis man, cis woman relationship shipping and fan fiction is a great way to kind of explore what those relationships might look like and like you said you, you're doing it in a safe way where you're not actually like affected so as opposed to like going out and like exploring your sexuality in a physical way if you're not comfortable with that fan fiction and shipping is a way to do that in a way that feels safe to you Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks this week to Brian Murray and Kara Shamborski. The music in this episode is brought to you by our favorite band in the universe, Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy the show, tell someone about it. Rate us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. Or if you're looking to just say hi, you can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org. And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature here on the show, and we have a regular thread about what comics we've been reading. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode at our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back-issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to visit our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening. <laughs>